And so what I'm doing here is finding hits and miss. No, that won't work. Yes, that will work. And I find the spot and I'm like, okay, get a visual of that spot and I've got what I need and I can stop. I don't have to do any more because I'm not there to write a travel guide about Berlin. Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And Taylor, I am pleased to announce that today I may have a co-host that you may all hear from occasionally. We're, we're babysitting <laughs> our grandson, Wyatt, so every so often he may toddle his way in here and tell me something. So He's uh, going to be our, our background soundtrack. Yes, he will be our background <laughs> Hopefully, just background <laughs> soundtrack. <laughs> Hopefully, he will not take over the show. How are things going for you? What's what's happening? It's summer. It's summertime, and the living is easy, right? Oh, I am so exasperated. I am just, I can't even with this anymore, is how they say it these days, isn't it? What? <laughs> I can't even. Oh, yes. Okay. I can't even. <laughs> yes, I hear that. But So what's going on? Um, well, you know, school's out, and I, I don't generally tend to talk about my kids a whole lot. Um, people always ask me, well, how old are they and whatever, and I just am like, they didn't sign up for this, so, you know, I don't use them as props or conversational pieces. But we've gotten to the stage where one of them is no longer in school, and, you know, I just, I know I grew up different than everybody else, but even as a teenager, I was hungry for independence. And it just doesn't seem to be that way these days. And I thought maybe I had done something wrong. I broke them or something. (laughs) (laughs) But talking to other parents, a lot of other parents who have kids the same age as mine, it seems to be a pretty common refrain of whereas, you know, a generation ago, you're just itching to get your driver's license and get out the door. Nowadays, nobody's in any hurry. And I can't be tax mom taxi. It's impossible. I have so little time as it is. And so it's this challenge of getting that them into independence, work all the things of driver's license and trying to teach driving and, you know, first job opportunities and college. And it's just so much. And I never... I don't have the experience of having even done it myself, you know? So, and, and these are, this is not a motivated, self-motivated person unless it's something that they're really interested in and getting out the door is not something they're really interested in. <laughs> so it's been incredibly taxing. And lately it's like, I don't have two days strung together where I can just focus and work. And my deadlines are getting tighter now. And it's just, I've fallen so behind. I've, I've not put a new Monroe chapter on Patreon for months. And I just, ah, I just can't even. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you, you mentioned that about your kids not being interested in getting their driver's licenses. Our kids are 31. They just turned 31. So it was 15 years ago. So not quite a generation ago, but they were like I was. They could not wait to get their driver's license. But then my godson, he's 25 now, so six years younger. 
And he came along in the age of instant communication, texting with all your friends constantly, and always being part of this digital web. That was his life. He had no interest in getting a driver's license. Yeah. So I don't know if one thing relates to the other or not, oh, or maybe it's just it a does. timing thing. But it's No, just, just think about it. You know, uh, 15 years ago, when yours were that age, um, if they wanted to talk to their friends, there's like one phone in the house. And everybody, if you, you needed it to be on the Internet or on the phone, it was all sort of the same thing, right? If you couldn't be on the phone, then there's nothing to do at home. It was boring. And nowadays, why would you have to leave? You hang out with your friends online. Everything you need is at home. There's, um, you know, kids, unless you're, um, like we, when I was even younger, even in my cult crazy environment, you know, you still went outside and played. And if you wanted to go do a sports thing, you went out and did it. You weren't sh- shuttled here and there by your parents. But nowadays, kids are signed up for soccer. They're signed up for baseball. They're signed up for all of art club, this, that, the other. But the parents are the ones who are getting them from place to place. Why would you want to be independent when you've got a chauffeur at your beck and call? You know, there's nothing about today's society setup that says, you will be more comfortable by seeking adventure than by sitting on the couch, you know? <laughs> I'm sure it's tied in. So what's, what is your plan to push them forward? Because we all want to know. In my brain, what I've tried to tell my oldest is get a job, get a job, get a job, find something in walking distance, because once you get a taste of having your own money, that will open up your entire world to what kind of independence is out there for you. It gets you out of the house. It gets you away from your sibling that you're squabbling with nonstop. Um, it, it allows you to go out to lunch with your friends and you know do all of this because all of a sudden you can pay for what you want and you don't have to come to me begging and trying to explain why you need this money for X, Y, Z. It was really hard to get that across. But then an opportunity opened up and it almost got forced in her lap. And at that point, it just happened. But I couldn't be the taxi. And it was like, all right, here's an Uber app. You can pay me back. You get yourself to and from work and you can pay me back. And so that's kind of what we've been doing. And I, I saw it within the first week of just this is a whole new person now. Oh, cool. You know, uh, the responsibility, the the, you know, being in charge of their own things, starting to think ahead, starting to calculate, okay, well, if I work this many hours, I'll have this much money and, you know, I, I can pay you for this. And, you know, this sort of sense, a sense of responsibility of not like being dependent on me for everything. And I'm like, I like this, you know, but it's just, there's so much work involved in getting them on the way that I've just been just exasperated. All right. Now, you know how, Oftentimes, we'll have this chit-chat, and then we have a topic, and I'll know what the topic is, and somehow or other, I'll transition from the chit-chat to the topic. I don't really understand what our topic is today, so the transition is on you. How are you going to transition this? (laughs) Uh, I don't know if there's a transition. Cue the music. (laughs) Okay, Taylor, what are we talking about today? I kind of have this vague idea in my mind, and I'm 
kind of going to be dependent on you, Steve, to just pull whatever goodness there is there out of me on this. But we have had discussions before, you and I, on air and off, about research, about description, and about characters. And the way that I've talked about these things is always like you can't have one without the other. And, you know, description is done through character. Research is done just enough to be able to establish what you need to convey. But I had something come up in my own storytelling, this piece that I was working on this past week, where I realized how integral those elements are. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, When I write, I tend to rough out a scene and then I go back and I start filling it in because it's really hard for me to create out of nothing. But I was really struggling trying to figure out where to take this particular scene. And I realized that my problem was that I had no visual references for what it was we were actually talking about. So the scene is supposed to take place in Berlin. Now, I've been to Berlin, but I don't know Berlin in and out. And I don't, um, I knew like, okay, this thing is supposed to happen in sort of a cafe type scenario or something similar, but I had no sense of where in the city that was, what the place looked like, um, how it related as far as um, almost like a bird's eye map of where things were. And And I realized that in order for me to actually write this scene, I had to see it. I had to go turn on, I I have two computers. One is the really old one that's going to crap out on me any day that has um, access to the internet. And if I don't have to turn that computer on, I won't because I'm more productive if I'm not connected to the internet. (laughs) So I had been procrastinating. A, I didn't want to open it up because that meant I'd see all my emails. And I was running away from my emails because I'm just so overloaded and I didn't even have it in me to respond. And I was like so behind. So I was like, did not want to turn this computer on and struggled so badly with the scene that I was trying to write. And I finally realized I, I, need, visu- I need visual. I need to know what world this character is walking in to be able to even describe what's about to happen. And so on goes the computer I spend about an hour, you know, looking at maps and, you know, looking at interior buildings just to make sure that I've got it right. And I had my visual. And once I had my visual, all of a sudden I could rough the scene out because I knew what pieces I was working with. And it was sort of like this, huh, moment to me. I don't remember struggling so hard with this in the past. And I realized, well, that's because the informationist, I'd been there for two years. What was there to research? You know, what was there to look at? It was all in my head. The struggle was eliminating stuff, not adding to it. And with the innocent, I was basically drawing on places, even if they weren't actually in Argentina, I still had houses and, you know, people and all these experiences to draw on. And with the doll, I went and I traveled 
to, I had sort of a rough idea of what I was going to write, but I hadn't gotten into all the description pieces of it yet. I just sort of knew the story and I went way early in the writing places and I visited all of that. So I had that in my head. And with the catch, well, I had lived in East Africa too. So I did have to do some research just to make sure my information was current, but I'd already been there. I'd seen these places and the parts I struggled with most were those that I hadn't been. And then with the mask, I went to Japan before I even started really writing the book. So all of these stories that I've written, all the visuals, even if I didn't know I was doing research at the time, even if I didn't know a place was going to um, show up in the story, I had something, some frame of reference for it. And so it, it, it made me like kind of go, okay, when people ask me these questions about how much research is necessary or how much description or how do you do description, well, now I have a kind of a different perspective on it. At least for me, I have to be able to see it. I have to be able to know what we're talking about because for me, when I'm writing, as, as we've said on, on other episodes, the description is shown through character movement. So how do you have your character move if you don't know what they're you're going to be showing as they move, right? It just is sort of like this chicken and the egg thing. So that's sort of what I wanted to talk about. I don't really have a lot more for it, but maybe you have some just amazing questions. All right. Well, I don't know that I have amazing questions, but I have questions. And as you were starting to talk about this, you got into the fact that you you were so deep into some of the locations where you'd written previous stories uh, from. And I at least it felt like as a reader that that really came through, that there was this real sense that you really knew this area, even though I didn't know anything about your story at the time. And I, if I'd given it any thought, I would have assumed that you couldn't possibly have lived in those places because it's unlikely. But you, you did it in multiple books. And, and the last book where you traveled to Japan, was that different? Because that was just a trip to Japan, and it maybe wasn't a research trip, but it was just a trip sort of uh, retrotting some ground that you had been on before. Was that different when it came to writing the story than the others where you were actually living there for a few years? Well, I had lived in Japan for five years, so but it was when I was younger and it was a different experience doing the Japan based books because in all the other ones, I actually had a story before I visited the place. And so when I was visiting the place, I was visiting it with, okay, well, I know she's going to be in this city and I know she's going to be doing this while she's in this city. So where would that thing actually happen? What do those exact streets look like? What do these Hills look like? Right? So I already knew what I was looking for. But with the mask, I had no idea what this story was going to be. And I went to Japan as a way to get the visuals because it's not the type of thing that you can just look on a map and go, okay, that's where that is. When I, with the Monroe stories, the, the, there's the culture of a place is so integral to, in many instances, to the actual plot of the story. And I knew that to get that for Japan, I actually had to be there physically in in person, talk with people, breathe the air, get a sense of how things felt. Um, and then I drew on that to sort of create the story, which was complete opposite of how I'd done it before. At the beginning of the catch, 
and I, I, I forgive me if I get this wrong, but I think the beginning or a very early scene takes place at the top of a building. Monroe is at the top of this building, um, pondering basically. Yeah. And that I I have a clear recollection of her being on the top of the building and what the top of the building was like and what it was like. And it's, you know, it's just all in the way that you do description, not by just describing it, but as you said, through character movement and things, because I remember her moving around and, and, you know, leg movements and things like that. Were you, did you actually go to the top of a building? Well, not in Djibouti. Okay. But But you had a building in mind that you had. You know, what's crazy is as you're saying that, I can I, I'm, I can actually see it in my head through Monroe's eyes, what she saw, and I have no idea where that came from right now as I'm doing that. Like, um, probably, uh, I might have gone and watched like any YouTube videos I could find from because people do that. They'll drive around with and just film what they see as they're driving. Mm-hmm. Any YouTube videos I could find. Any, um, obviously you're not, at that time anyway, there wouldn't have been any Google Maps street views or anything like that. But somehow, some way, through um, maybe pictures on people's blogs, um, videos, whatever, I built a composite picture in my head that right now, if I close my eyes and look out, I'm seeing it as if it actually existed. And I'm, as a reader, I'm kind of in the same place because I think I could close my eyes. And I'm sure we would see two completely different things. Yeah. But it's, it was so real when I was reading it. And it was so, it was just so different. It wasn't like she's sitting in a restaurant looking across the street at something. She's on the top of a building. And it, it's in this unusual place. And, and there's all this detail that got layered in. And so I've, I have my picture. You have your picture. Probably uh, dozens of listeners have their own pictures as well. But you see, here's the thing is, a place like Djibouti, there aren't that many people, relatively speaking, foreigners anyway, Westerners, who visit it, mostly military and maybe a few business interests and, and then those really exotic you know, tourists who like to go really far off the beaten path. So you're not going to find a lot of people who've been there. And that's very different than Berlin, for example. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've found that if you describe something down to the shape of the cobblestones, somebody who's been there who didn't notice that thing is going to call you a liar and say you made it up. But if you stick to the feel of a place, then you have a much better chance of creating something realistic, even if you hadn't been there. But it's a lot easier to pull that off of the place like in Djibouti, where um, most people are willing to trust you, that it doesn't matter where you place that building, people will go with it. Whereas in Berlin, if you place something in the wrong spot, then, I mean, granted, there'll be readers who'll give you that poetic license of, yes, you just made up that building and put it there. But you kind of have to get it real to to a sense. And so for me, and this is funny, I don't know if it's going to end up in the final book or not, but there are small details of a place that, I mean, they're not helpful for getting a visual, but they're helpful for convincing people that you know what you're talking about. 
And in Berlin, the thing that I remember most from being there is the dog crap all over the sidewalks. Like, of all the cities in the world, Berlin has the most dog poopy sidewalks I've ever <laughs> encompassed. It was shocking to me. Mm -hmm. And that is the type of thing that gives a character that sense of realism of, of looking back and going, yeah, this has changed and that has changed, but the dog crap is still the same. Um, and that, I'll use that because it's a touchstone that I personally have. And of course, I researched to make sure it hasn't changed that much. Um, but that doesn't help me get a sense of how do the subways work? How do the, um, you know, how does it feel when you're walking down the streets? You know, how close to the street are the buildings? Uh, you know, just it, it's difficult to describe what, what I'm getting at here. But, you know, what's the walking distance from A to B? You know, all those things tie into how a character interfaces with their environment. And you might only need 5% of that to tell the story. But if you don't know what hotel something is taking place in, you can't describe the interior in a way that you even know how it feels. Does the lobby have chairs in it? Or is it just a very tight little lobby? You know, a lobby in, in New York is going to be very different than a lobby in Dallas just for the amount of space that it has. And if you're envisioning... A Dallas hotel and transposing it into old city, old West, old West Berlin. Well, it's not going to work as far as the way that the character interfaces with that environment, which leads back to the point that I was struggling with of, you know, why sometimes you actually have to go do that research before you start writing because otherwise you have nothing to work with. Okay. Now you, you said you went onto the internet for about an hour. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So I, I mean, I, I've, I've gone back a few times. But. Okay. All right. So, but I want to get into this a little bit because this is something that everyone has to deal with. Everyone is, is going to be writing scenes that take place someplace where they haven't been and they need they need a framework for doing the research. And you obviously had something in mind when you started doing the research. You mentioned you looked at maps. Okay, so I knew that I need a hotel. Okay, and, this, and I, these are kind of spoilers, but it's so far out that hopefully by the time the book is released, nobody will remember any of this anyway. But we have characters going to a city, and there's a hotel where they're supposed to have had rooms booked for them. And this character is not ever going to check into that hotel. But he wants to see what's there, who else is there, who's looking for him, and that. Well, obviously, for that, for me to pull that off, I need a hotel. I need um, a hotel that, if, if I really want it to be, to add a layer to the story, I'd like to find a hotel that has some kind of interesting history to it that could somehow play into the psycho psychological back and forth of why this hotel specifically, even if there is no why, it's still something to think about. So I'll go to Google and go, you know, type in Berlin hotels, strange history or something like that. And just randomly stuff is going to pop up and I'll start looking because I don't want the typical, um, Hilton, whatever. I want something that has some character to it, um, a uniqueness to it, because that's interesting. It's more interesting than 
blah-boring. So I find a couple of them, and then I start going, all right, how close, since this is Berlin we're talking about, how close to the wall are these things? What other things are in the area? And you know, what, what, what does this look like here? And one thing that hangs me up is in old Europe, uh, Czech is a lot like this too, the buildings are like four, five, six stories tall, and they're like right on the street. But, and they, they surround the block like a big, heavy, thick outline, and the inside of the block is empty. And it'll be gardens or parking areas or whatever. And trying to describe that to somebody who's never seen that, it's so foreign to the way we build buildings here in the United States mm -hmm. that it's like, ah, pull hair out. So I'm like, do I work with this or do I go find something else? And then I'm like, okay, in this part of town, with this plot, would they be meeting at the hotel itself or would there be someplace else, some neutral location? Well, it's close to the zoo. Is there someplace at the zoo that we could have them meet? And at that point, I'm dropping the little guy on the, ma on the Google Maps mm -hmm. where you can like get a 360 view where somebody has taken pictures there. And it's a very laborious, frustrating experience because <laughs> it never works the way it's supposed to on my crappy little old <laughs> computer that's about to fall apart. Um, and these are, in any case, places that I may have been before, but I don't remember them well enough to accurately um, describe it. And so what I'm doing here is finding hits and miss. No, that won't work. Yes, that will work. And I find the spot and I'm like, okay, get a visual of that spot and I've got what I need and I can stop. I don't have to do any more because I'm not there to write a travel guide about Berlin. I only need to make sure that the hotel is in the right spot, where the ca cafe or whatever it is I choose is in the right spot, how long it would take somebody to walk, what else is generally in the immediate area, nearby the zoo, nearby this other famous theater. Okay, cool. Done. I've got what I need and go back and write. Are you also looking for something that you could just toss in as description, like the bright red sign over the Thai food restaurant or anything like that? No, not okay. unless it's going to play into the story. So like in the research that I did right now, um, there's a big shopping mall close to the hotel that I'm looking at. And so I'll have the character pass the shopping mall. But there's not going to be going to really much description at all about the buildings because, frankly, people don't care about buildings. They care about people. They care about characters. So if the character's going to highlight something in that area, he might bump into a person or see somebody of interest. But the buildings just don't really matter. The buildings are there only to navigate your character, to show the character moving past things and it will feel like description but all i'm really doing is getting character from one place to the next right, what's different about characters walking the streets in berlin than characters walking the street in new york city dog shit <laughs> <laughs> okay so but that's what you're using um that's what i'm using but okay new york city um you're gonna get a hefty smell of diesel and rotting garbage, depending on if you're there in the summer or the winter. Because in New York City, everybody puts their trash out. They pull it out of, like, these basements, and they put it out on the streets, and the garbage people come and collect them. So the trash is just all right there on the streets. It smells like Nairobi in New York City. So you would have 
that that's a characteristic that is completely different. You would never see that in other major cities to the same degree, just because of the way that New York was built. So those are the types of characteristics that you would use to differentiate one place from the next and give it that sense of realism that somebody who's been there is like, uh, yeah, that's exactly what it's like. Okay. So you, you did this research, and then you, you began writing again, and you were suddenly comfortable with everything. Um, was oh, it... God, no. There's never okay. any suddenly comfortable with anything. <laughs> but, what it, but what it does is it gives me sort of a, um, these little anchors that mm-hmm. I can, um, like, thread something onto. And then it's like macrame, you know, where you, like, have your main strings and then you can start. Not that I know how to do macrame. I'm just making this up as I go. But then you can, like, your finer threads start filling in the actual picture or whatever, you know. And in this case, those visuals are sort of like the anchor points that I can thread everything around. But without it, I'm just like, uh, he did what where, you know. I can't make his body move because I don't know what it's moving in. And character and motion is the key to every scene. So I needed to to know what he was going to be in motion for, with. And, you know, how do you make a character think something or plot something if you don't know what he's interacting with? Like, if he's trying to get to a hotel, but he wants to go the back way, well you know, he's going to be thinking things as he's planning, scheming, going along, what he's looking for, windows, you know, people, cars, is it empty, is it crowded? And you can't do any of that if you don't know what he's interfacing with. Hmm. All right. Now, another thing that I I find instructive about what you've just told us in this show is that you did not do this before you started writing the book. You just... Maybe I should have. You came upon... (laughs) a situation where you realized you needed it and you set aside some time to do it. Yes. As opposed to, and there are some people that do this, that just do all of the research ahead of time. And I have heard horror stories uh, about those people and just that they can never start writing because there's always these other things to research. And I know we've talked about this before, the idea of how you do your research and when you do your research, and and there is no hard and fast rule for you. So I just thought this was kind of instructive that you're here, you're writing this scene, you realize you need some stuff, so you turned on the other computer and you did the research and then you went back to writing. Yeah, and see, the whole reason that I had avoided the research in the first place is because I didn't want to get into that time suck of... Lose, I, I'm so behind on everything that I was like, I can't afford this. I cannot afford to go spend three days like researching Berlin or whatever. But then I realized, well, I've got to spend some time. Like now I'm at this point in the story. I have to figure out what this looks like because and there's other scenes that I'm going to have to start doing that with, too, with different characters, because even though. I've spent considerable considerable time in Europe, and I have a feel. I know how it feels in a lot of these places. That is not the same thing of having a visual in my head of what what the building looked like and how it's placed on the street compared. Like, if you're going to have a fight sequence where people are shooting at each other, you can't just say, you know, he ran down the stairs and out the door. There's got to be some sense of how those stairs and running out the door relates to all the other players. So I'd avoided the research for the sake, like I figured I knew enough 
to not fall down the research rabbit hole. And I do on a macro level, but not on the micro levels. And that's where hmm. I had to go back. Okay. I think this was, uh, this was interesting. I'm glad we did this show. And I, I'm kind of glad that I didn't know what it was going to be about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I just figure if I can, like, if anytime I'm stumbling through something, I'm like, okay, if I've been, if I've been doing this for as long as I have, and I've just hit these roadblocks, I bet there's like tons of people out there hitting them too. So let me just tell you how I goofed up. <laughs> Maybe you can learn from my mistakes. <laughs> All right, and I would love to hear how other people do their research. Do you do you do it on an as-needed basis? Do you do it ahead of time? Do you just make stuff up? How do you do it? Either send an email to taylorstevensbooks at gmail.com or drop it in the Taylor Stevens fan club, uh, in the Facebook group. And let's, let's start a little conversation in there. And if you're not part of the Facebook group, come join us because we have a lot of fun in there. Yes, we do. We talk a lot about writing in there. So... Yes, great show. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back in your ears again next Tuesday. Yeah, so come hang out with us.